We'll be preaching from Mark 4 this morning, so I encourage you to, uh, to turn or scroll there now if you're using your phone. Um, you've probably heard, I think Jeff said it a few times, that Mark is a very action-oriented gospel. Um, you know, he, every gospel author um, included different details in their account, but Mark really focuses on Jesus did this, then he went here, he healed this person, he went here. Um, but this is one of the sections in uh, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Um, we get an extended kind of period of teaching um, that Mark records. So we know that there's, there's some importance here, right? It's, it's kind of highlighted by the fact that no other teaching um, is really laid out this uh, thoroughly by Mark. Um, the other gospel authors recorded it, um, but we see Mark's just perspective a little bit differently. Um, so today, you know, your, your Bible probably says with the heading, uh, the parable of the sower. Um, that's what we generally call it. Um, but what we're going to see is that it's, it really doesn't have a whole lot to say about the sower and more so to say about the soils. So we might call it the parable of the soils, um, but that doesn't quite sound as nice, right? If you're driving home today, you talk to someone about your church. What did you learn about at church? Well, soil samples, you know, um, they're, they're, there's lots of different kinds of soil, um, right? That's, that's not quite as catchy. Um, so, but what we're going to see is that these soils represent human hearts. And so this passage is going to give us an in-depth look at how human hearts respond to the gospel, right? So going into this location change and hopefully a new season of life for our church and um, so many things, right? As we, as we evangelize to, to friends, family, um, coworkers, this is, this is ultimately important because it uh, jesus presents this as the norm like here's how people will respond when you give them the gospel um mark 4 picks up uh, as jesus is traveling through galilee it's his hometown right uh, so in mark 3 you know we read um, there's there's lots of really large crowds that are following jesus he's well known for casting out demons healing the sick um, and also teaching and so they're they're kind of hounding him like there's several sections in mark where um, Jesus is trying to go eat or go sleep, and he's kind of plagued by these crowds. Like they're just looking for another miracle, um, to the point where um, often he would get into a boat and teach them from the boat, so they couldn't like crowd around him and basically like crush him. Just like do this, do this, you know, give us another sign. Um, but we also see uh, Jesus' family in Mark three, um, and they're looking for him, not to congratulate him, not to shake hands, not to celebrate but to take him back home, and they say he's out of his mind. So his family isn't quite proud of him. They don't, they don't quite understand what's going on. And then we see in Mark 3 that the scribes who are plotting to destroy him um, come to him, and basically he's casting out demons. He's doing supernatural things. They can't deny it. So they conclude that he must be doing it by the power of Satan. And so they tell everyone he casts out Satan by the power of Satan. So trip to your hometown, not quite uh, going as expected, right? Um, there's, there's not that many people excited that Jesus is in Galilee, right? That's where we pick up. Um, and, you know, at this point, he's probably exhausted. In fact, you know, he's going to get on a boat. We're going to see him teach. Um, and then he leaves on the boat and he falls asleep on the boat. And then there's the storm and he tells the storm basically like, shut up. Um, so um, this, is, this is a very uh, intimate moment that we see with Jesus, right? I don't, I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, this is not how I react. I don't think, oh, let me, let me bend over backwards to help you, right? So we see that, that this is important even for Jesus, right? And, and the disciples are probably wondering at this point, they've, they've left, you know, kind of Galilee. They're outside Galilee now. Why are so many people rejecting Jesus? There's so many people, you know, his family doesn't quite understand. They, they think he's out of his mind, right? The crowds are really just there for another sign. Like, we heard you could multiply bread. Could, could we get some of that, right? Um, you know, and, and so, and the scribes are basically like, he's an agent of Satan. So um, that's where we pick up. So Mark 4, I'm going to read the whole passage, uh, and then I'll pray for us. Mark 4, uh, verses 1 through 20, here's what it says. 
And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, for a But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and then he quotes Isaiah, he says, They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones... Uh, sown on the, gro- the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And since they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when persecution or tri- uh, sorry, excuse me, tribulation or persecution uh, arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, and they are the ones who hear the, the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But for those who were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. We thank you for it. God, I pray that you would work through me uh, this morning to speak your word with boldness, to make the the truths of your word plain uh, to everyone here this morning. Uh, God, I pray I wouldn't speak from my own authority or opinion or perspective, um, but simply to speak your word plainly. God, I pray for those in this room who do not know you. Um, I ask that you would work powerfully through your word and draw them to yourself. You would bind the enemy from distorting or hindering your word this morning. Um, Lord, would you soften hearts that are hardened? Would you break the chains of unbelief and sin around hearts today? Father, would you open our eyes to our desperate need for you? Finally, Father, I pray for those of us who, who do know you. Um, God, would you convict us of sin and, and sinful desires for the things of this world? God, would you bring to mind those in our lives who don't know you? And would, uh, God, I pray that you would break our hearts for them. God, would you unsettle complacent hearts and fill them with a passion for your word? Father, we know that you can do all this and more. So we give this time to you. And I ask all of these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. So, Mark 4. Um, If you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, you know that he used parables quite often. Um, Generally, a parable is a story or an illustration, um, but it's not just a kind of broad category for, oh, okay, yeah, that's an analogy. Cool, I can understand that. Um, It's meant to be understood alongside a spiritual truth, and generally it's focusing on one thing. Um, And in this case, uh, you 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 can hear where, uh, where we get the word parable and parallel from the same kind of root. And so it's meant to be understood alongside, kind of in conjunction with a spiritual truth. Um, So the first goal that we we ought to have when we read this passage is, okay, what what is Jesus trying to get us to think about, right? Generally, parables are meant to cause you to think, okay, 
Who am I in this story? What could this mean? Right? So our first goal in this passage is to ponder it. Um, let's begin by looking at the verses 1 through 9. Um, we're just going to go briefly through the parable. Um, and I'll point out a couple of things. Um, verse 1, you know, Jesus is teaching. Um, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat, sat on the sea. The whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things. Um, so other gospel authors record lots of other parables. Mark focuses on this one. So, and, and also we see Jesus say, listen, behold. Right? Like he's setting this up. This is very important. Right? So we should sort of lean in a little bit. Right? Then we see, you know, Jesus, is, he says, listen. So it's, it's very important. In fact, he uses the word listen in this passage alone like 10 times. So it's clear that he, he's, he's trying to drive home a point. What could that point be? That's his goal initially. Um, and so here's the story he tells, right? Action-packed gospel of Mark. You guys ready? A sower sows some seed. And there it is. Action-packed, right? Some of it grows. Some of it doesn't for various reasons. The end. But, uh... Right, so a lot of people in his audience were probably farmers or had sown seed before. Right, for us this is a little bit like uh, it's not it's it's a little bit foreign. Um, you know, maybe we think about like growing gardens or or you know things like that. We we know well about weeds and just how annoying they are. Right, um, but we see you know Jesus is talking about uh, seed that doesn't grow. Right, we see see uh, that some seed falls on the path. Right, which was hardened from people walking along it. So there's, there's this aspect where they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. When you throw seed and it falls on the path, then the crows come up and get it. So this is a very accessible parable to them. Right? They knew the shallow soil well. Um, they knew how frustrating thorns were and just weeds in general. Right? But then we see some soil is good, verse 8. Um, some seeds fall in the good soil and produce grain, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So now up to this point, Jesus has just been talking about a gardening story. Right? Okay, cool. Yep, I understand. But this is the first hint. Something is different. Right? So we don't know this. However, his original audience, who probably knew of farming, probably had done it themselves, would know, okay, a good crop, a good like, yield from seed would be sevenfold, maybe tenfold, if you were really careful. Right? If you really watered that soil, you had the perfect climate, all of those things went well. So when Jesus says 30-fold, right, they're going to, what? 60-fold. A hundredfold, okay, that's, at this point, that's beyond anything they can imagine, right? The only notion that maybe a couple of Bible nerds in there, in the audience would have, would be they would remember in Genesis 26 that their forefather Isaac had a crop that returned a hundredfold to him, and it was because God blessed him. So the point here is, this is a supernatural amount of crop that's returning from this seed. Interesting. We're meant to ponder this. We're meant to say, what is Jesus talking about here? And then he ends the parable with another hint. Okay, something, something's different, right? This isn't just gardening advice. Like, hey, plant the seed in the good soil. Don't waste the seed. Um, right? He ends with this puzzling statement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So at this point, Jesus' audience should know that there's something different, right? Maybe a couple of them are like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I'm hearing you good, right? Um, Right? But, but it's intended for them to pause and think. Right? Why is Jesus talking about seeds that don't grow right? Right after being rejected by his hometown, his family, the scribes, after over a year of ministry. This is about almost two years into Jesus' public ministry. Right? What does he expect his disciples to do? What are we supposed to do with this passage? Right? Okay, so or so some seed. Woo! Right? Um, what does he expect his disciples to do, right? Spoiler alert, we're not meant to take some notes on better, uh, how to be a better gardener and then walk away, right? We're ultimately, we're, we're going to see 
is that as believers, our job is to sow the gospel. It's to sow the seed and share the gospel. But it seems that the disciples are wondering about that as well. So let's pick up in uh, in verse 10. Um, So they ask him about it. Verse 10 uh, says this, um, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, so the twelve disciples and maybe a few others that have stayed to to hear the meaning of this parable, um, they asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So this is one of the hard parts of this passage, right? Because ultimately the meaning of this parable is that there are those who will hear the gospel and not have ears to hear, right? They they won't, it, it, it won't get through, right? And then Jesus goes through and explains different reasons, right? He quotes Isaiah to kind of drive home the point, just like Isaiah pleaded with Israel, turn away from your idols, turn to God. But instead they saw, but didn't perceive, right? They, they heard, but they didn't, they didn't listen, right? Um, and what we, what we have to see with this passage is it's not an inability to hear like what, what I can't, can you, can you please like they're, they're staying to have this explained to them. It's not that Jesus is saying like, okay, now everything's hidden. You don't get to know the truth anymore, right? He spent two years explaining who he is. Right? So, so him saying to those outside, everything is in parables and, and you, you know, you, you select few, you have the secret. Isn't him saying you, you can't have this, right? It's, it's that they're not, it's not that those outside have an inability to hear. It's a refusal to listen, right? If someone tells you you're wrong and you don't like it, then you just ask the same question. Well, but, but what if I'm not wrong? But, but you are, it doesn't get through. It goes in one ear and out the other, right? Uh, it's like selective hearing. Well, I, I liked what you said until you said I was wrong. Um, right. So what's the secret? Because that's, that's what, what, what our mind should be drawn to, right? What, what's the secret? Okay, there's a key to unlock this parable. What is it? What's been hidden from those that are rejecting Jesus, but not to his disciples, not to the select few who stick around, right? Friends, the mystery is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that's the mystery. That's the secret that the scribes were rejecting, that his family was rejecting. Ultimately, that's what the crowds were rejecting in seeking a miracle, but not their Lord, right? So the mystery is Jesus, right? He spent two years unpacking that. And Danny Aiken uses this analogy uh, that just really makes a lot of sense. He says uh, that it's like the sun that hardens the clay, but also melts the wax. And so in the same way, Jesus is saying here that the word of the gospel offends the resistant and rebellious, but it's enthusiastically received by the receptive, right? We might think of, you know, just a hypothetical situation. If, I, if I'm driving somewhere um, and I miss a turn, you know, not that that ever happens, right? Never get lost. Always have impeccable sense of direction. Um, but, you know, let's say, you know, my fiance Kathleen, is she's got the Google Maps up, you know, and she says, hey, you, you missed your turn. Um, and if I'm just convinced, like, no, I didn't, you know, I'm just going to keep going, Right. Whatever. I don't know what Google Maps is saying. I think we called her Karen just because it has like this annoying voice. You know, I don't know what Karen's doing, but I know where I'm going. Right. But but if I'm open to hear that, then I'm going to say, oh, real, how do I how do I correct this? Right. In the same way, when we hear the gospel and we're receptive, it softens us. But when we're resistant, it's hardening us just like the sun hardens the clay, but melts the wax. Right? So in the same way, there are those who will hear the gospel over and over again and will not accept it. 
right? There might even be those who accept it for superficially for a small time, right? But, and that might even be the reality today, right? As we gather and hear God's word, right? The message of this parable uh, is, is that there are those who will hear the gospel and will not come to Christ. And we should ponder this, right? Why is this? Am I one of these soils? Does this resemble me? Do I know someone who resembles these soils? What, what am I supposed to do in response to this? Right? So moving forward, we're going to look at each of these soils a little bit more in depth. And, and you know, why are there those who don't have ears to hear? They, they, they hear, but they don't listen. What, what's going on, right? We're meant to ponder this, right? This is a very serious matter, right? We're talking about those who have not received the gospel, right? Who, who may persist in their unbelief forever. Friends, family members, co-workers, those we know, right? Those who may never accept it. Those who may chase after the things of this world and love that more than God. Those who may fall away as soon as things get difficult because they have no root. It's not in Christ. And according to this parable, and this is the hard part for me at least, is that this is to be expected. This is the norm. Here's here's what will happen when you share the gospel. Some people will not accept it. And we're also meant to examine our own hearts and ask, who am I in this story? Right? Do these soils, do these bad soils where the seed isn't growing, or maybe it's being choked out, does that resemble my heart? Right? That's not a fun task. Right? I'm sorry, I don't have a, you know, be happy, go home, have lunch, woo, you know, kind of message this morning. This is an eternally important message. Um, but friends, can I offer you some hope? This parable doesn't end with telling us about the soil that, that doesn't, that continues to reject the gospel. It ends with reminding us that the gospel is far more powerful than we can ever imagine. So we have to ask some hard questions of ourselves, right? But it's my hope that today we end marveling at the power of the seed, right? the power of the gospel, and not the disposition of the soil, the fact that some won't accept it. So let's look at the hardened soil. That's in verse 15. Here's what Jesus says. I'll read it again. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So immediately we're confronted with the possibility that one can hear the gospel several times and say no. The seed takes no root because like the dirt path that's been walked over several times, you know, probably by animals, by, you know, many people, right, to traverse between the fields, right? This was, a, again, this was an accessible kind of picture, right? We, sh- we should think about, okay, yeah, it's, it's like a hardened path, right? So there are those whose hearts resemble these hardened paths and the gospel just bounces right off of it, right? And then we also see this, this even more um, scary picture, right? That the crows come up and swoop and, and take the seed. Um, and ultimately we see that Satan is active in their unbelief, right? So not only are they persisting in rejecting the gospel, but now Satan is kind of, you know, making things worse really, right? And if his disciples thought back to Mark 3, where the scribes who, you know, studied the word, who should know, okay, you're the Christ. He says, I'm the Christ. And they say, no, you must be Satan, right? Um, We even see how Satan is at work in that. Like he's living up to his name, slanderer, liar, right? Deceiver, right? We see that the power of Satan isn't hardening the hearts. It's simply taking away the word that's being sown, right? We harden our hearts very well on our own when we hear truth and we don't like it. Just push that aside, right? I don't like how that makes me feel, right? And so even this morning, this may be a reality, right? We see that Satan works immediately. As soon as the seed hits the ground, he's working immediately to take away the word that is sown, right? 
So there should be eye-opening to us that there is a spiritual struggle that goes on every time we hear God's word. Right? Every time the seed is sown, there's a spiritual struggle which is seeking to take our attention off of the word. Satan does not want you to hear the word this morning or any morning. I can't emphasize that enough, right? And one of the lies that he may want you to believe is that no one in this room needs to hear this truth, right? Uh, you know, I'll just tune out to point three. Uh, let me make some lunch plans, you know, like mentally, like thinking through the task lists, what's going on, right? And even this morning, right, there may be factors that are pulling for your attention. Maybe there's a pressing situation at home. There's something you have to do. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're tired, right? It's just hard to pay attention. Gosh, you know. Um, but we have an adversary, who does not want you to hear the word of God. Right? He can't touch those who are in Christ, but he very much wants to stop you from spreading the gospel. Right? So if the Bible is living water, then Jesus wants, I'm sorry, then Satan would love for you to be dehydrated, right? to, to not have that living water flowing through you. Right? And so when the, when the church gathers to hear God's word, it's not just something we do, oh yeah, it's a good reminder, you know, yeah, Jesus, woo, right? It's to remind ourselves of the gospel, to sing, to sing songs like we just said. We believe our God is Jesus. He is Lord. Right? This is meant to push back the lies of the deceiver. Right? So maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Right? Maybe you like the idea of Jesus, not the Christian label. Uh, I'm, not really, I'm not really into religion. Okay. Um, maybe you're on the fence. Right? Maybe you don't hate Jesus. You just don't love him either. Right? Friend, if this is you, please let me say this. Please listen. Jesus sort of leans in. This is important. Right? Don't believe the lies of Satan that say, you don't need to hear this. Uh, you, you can settle this later. Right? This is of eternal importance. Jesus is calling out. He's sowing the seed. He's made a way for you to be reconciled with God. So don't believe the lies of the enemy that say you have more time to figure it out. Right? If that's you this morning, you're being deceived. Open your eyes. Use your ears. Listen. Hear. Right? The author of Hebrews says this. He says, If we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's not saying that if we keep sinning, that Jesus rescinds his... You know what? I said I was going to save you. It doesn't count for you anymore. I, I scratched your name off the list. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if we hear the gospel and we, and we don't accept it, if that's not our sacrifice we trust in, where else will you turn? There is no other sacrifice, right? What other thing can we muster? What other good works can we build up in ourselves to make ourselves right before God? The answer is nothing, right? Truly, Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God, right? to have our sins washed away. So don't harden your hearts, friends. Don't let the enemy steal your attention away from hearing this truth. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, then we have to sow the seed. Right? The fact that there is an enemy at work should make us say, we've got to sow the seed even more. Right? Trying to, you know, there's an enemy who's trying to diffuse or, or you know, disable our efforts to, to spread the gospel. We have to share the gospel. We have to sow the seed. Let's continue to the next soil. That's the rocky soil, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
So when I read this passage, I think back to my days growing up at a, a really large church with a huge youth group, and we would go to a camp, and um, you know they'd have all the music going. You know, everyone's crying. It's generally like the last night, right? and all of these kids would go up, or you know, raise your hand, or, or go up together, or you know, stand up symbolically, right? Come forward. And I remember one student in particular. Every summer, we would get back from camp, and he would tell us how he got saved, like again. And this passage points out why these sorts of things can happen, right? It's like, was he saved the first time? Was he saved the seventh time? I don't understand what's going on here, right? So this passage opens it up, right? He says that there are those who hear the word and receive it with joy, right? They're not hardened like the other soil. That's good, right? Maybe this person is immediately excited, right? That's why it says, you know, they have no depth of soil, but immediately kind of grow up or shoot up. That's what the verb's kind of implying there. Um, Right? We might call it a spiritual high that we get from a religious experience. Right? Just, man, I really love Jesus right now. And that's good. That's not a bad thing. Right? Emotions aren't bad. They're good. But why is that? Ultimately, right, these individuals endure for a while, but eventually the sun rises and they wither. Why is that? It's because they have no root. It's not Christ. It's all surface level. It's all the good feels right? with nothing real anchoring it. So when the sun comes up, and it does, right? When, not if, the sun comes up, these, these people wither, right? Their faith falls away. Michael Lawrence wrote a short book called Conversion. And in it, he writes this. He says, faith isn't an emotion that God evaluates by its intensity. Faith is trust. And it's only as good as its object of its trust. Right? So in our passage, there are those who place their hope or trust in something that isn't Jesus. Right? Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's the promise of a better life. Right? Maybe it's, okay, yeah, I just need to get this guilty kind of stain off of me. Right? Okay. Right? But, but according to Jesus, if their faith isn't in Christ, then it isn't saving faith. Right? When, not if, the sun rises. When the sun rises, these individuals find that the spiritual high is gone. Right? They no longer have an object for their faith. There's, there's, the anchor is gone because it wasn't real. Right? If their, if their trust isn't in Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes maybe their faith was, was in Jesus plus something, right? Happiness, peace, security, right? But eventually those things fade, right? Sometimes there's uncertainty in the Christian life. There we go, right? That frustrates us. We want just like a magical answer to fall from the heavens. You should take this job. Perfect, right? Man, right? Um, you know, we want every time we open up our Bible for there to just be a light that shines on our face, right? And we have the perfect thing to take for Instagram, right? But sometimes obedience is hard, right? Sometimes they read their Bibles and they don't get any warm fuzzies. It's just hard to, to pay attention, right? It's hard to, to make time for it, right? Once things get difficult, the sun rises, their faith withers. And there's another aspect that Jesus is pointing out. He says that there's persecution that arises on account of the word. Right, this is pointing again to a spiritual struggle that occurs any time God's word is spread. Right? There are forces at work essentially to crush the growth of our faith. Right? No matter what soil the word is sown in, the sun comes up. If we, if we go with the analogy, the sun still comes up. Right? Persecution will still come. Right? In the West, we don't really understand persecution as much as our brothers and sisters across the world do. Um, you know, we might, we might experience trials or hardships, you know, not quite persecution yet, 
anyway. Um, but when and not if, when it comes, we need to be ready, right? We might experience trials or hardships, um, but ultimately what we have to see is that as sad as that is, right, that there are those who, when things get difficult, they fall away, right, because they're superficially believing in Christ, right? We see that there's a key difference between superficial and true believers, right? True believers endure persecution. True believers follow the words of James 1. James 1 tells us this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we've got to ask another hard question. Are we willing to face trials and count them all joy? Are we willing to face trials and count them all joy? Not happiness, right? We might not be happy about it, but but joy. My, My hope is in Christ, not this situation. I'm not saying that suddenly, you know, having faith in Christ puts a target on your back. I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus says that. Okay, that's that's really what I'm here to say. Right. He says this in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Friends, this is why the prosperity gospel and its many flavors doesn't work. Right. If we offer people a hope that anchors their hope to wealth or or prosperity or health. Right. Those things fade away and it's not in the person of Christ. They're going to wither away when the sun comes up. It's like sending a soldier off to war who doesn't know how to use his weapons. Right. His uniform looks great. You know, everything's fully loaded. He looks great. He's he's ready to go. You know, he's excited. He's ready to do things. And then he's like, how do I use this? What can like what, what am I supposed to do? Right. And I say prosperity gospel and its flavors, right? Because I think that we're prone to think that faith in Christ somehow entitles us to happiness, right? We might not believe the prosperity gospel and say, oh, yeah, I, I need to be rich. I need to be always healthy. Um, I need to be always happy. But, but, but we might think that, okay, yeah, God wants me to be happy, but he's far more concerned about our holiness, friends. So just because we're not happy doesn't mean God hates us, right? True faith perseveres, right? We see this across the world. Just a couple examples. I heard the other day on a podcast about a Christian organization. Basically, they go in, they have Bible clubs for um, kids in these, these uh, countries that are just sort of you know, torn apart by, by years of communism, um, by, by years of just corruption, right? And there's people that, that stand around near where these Bible clubs are happening, and the kids are going to the Bible clubs, right? They're just, maybe they're going to learn English, maybe they're going for, for other reasons, but they're, they're going to hear about Jesus, and they stand by them, and they say, hey, if, if you go to that Bible club, we won't bury your parents, and your parents won't go to heaven. You don't want that to happen, do you? Yeah, so don't go to that Bible club. This is persecution. This is Satan trying to steal up the seed that is being sown, right? Think about persecution, there it is, right? deceitful lies, right? You know what's crazy, though? The church is growing in those areas. They're not, they're not turned away by these, by these sort of fear tactics, right? The, those Bible clubs end up growing, and the, and the parents of this, the kids who are being told, hey, we won't bury your parents, right? Suddenly, now their parents are hosting the Bible club because they've received the gospel, too, right? So what we see, even in China, right, and we, we see that for years now, brothers and sisters in China have been persecuted, right? Pastors disappearing, right, being interrogated for months, um, churches being demolished, right? But it's growing, like it just won't die. Why is that? It's because the root of the gospel is stronger than the forces at play in this world, so as we reflect on the fact that there are those who will hear the gospel and will only respond emotionally, right, that, that should break our hearts. But also, 
we should see with joy that the power of the gospel sustains true believers through the trials of this life. Right? That's so much better of a hope than, hey, you know, you can get a Ferrari. Like, that's great, but like, ultimately, what does it do for your soul? Right? Ultimately, do you have hope, though? It's worthless, right? Because the storms of life cannot move a faith with Jesus as his anchor. Right? The power is not in the soil, right? It's not, it's not in the soil like, oh, this soil had lots of nutrients and so it sprung up the plants perfectly, right? It's in the power of the seed, right? It's not in the ability of the human heart to become a super Christian, right? Oh man, like I'm just, I'm always happy. I'm always joyful, right? But it's the power of the gospel working in us who lived, who died, we, right? We, 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 we place our hope in Christ who lived, who died in our place and is seated now even at the right hand of God. That's so much better of a hope than you know, money, Woo, right? We have an eternal hope that lasts forever. So friends, let's look at the third soil. Finally, we come to the third soil, the thorny soil, verses 18 through 19. It says this, and, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Right? So we see that the seed is received, right? it's accepted, okay, but it never fully grows. It doesn't yield any fruit. Right? These are those that hear the word, but the thorns choke it. Right? What are these thorns? Jesus tells us in verse 19, you know, these are the desires for other things, you know, deceitfulness of riches, right? the cares of this world. Friends, just like thorns are kind of everywhere, we have to deal with them, we... If we're honest, we can look at these and say, yeah, okay, I noticed some of these in my life, right? They're not uncommon or unnatural desires. He's saying there are thorns. For some soils, the thorns will choke out the seed. But for others, what we're going to see is that they will resist, right? The thorns will die off, but the seed will not, right? But what are these thorns in our lives, right? Maybe we think academic success, right? Financial standing, right? wealth. What keeps you from your Bible? What keeps that being what what keeps that from being a, a main part of our, our lives? Right? For some of us we're so busy and we think my time is so important, I can't I can't spend the first few minutes of my day or the last few minutes of my day in the Bible. I've I've got too much to do and I'm important, right? What keeps us from praying? If we ask those questions, we start to probe what we find the thorns that are that are seeking to kind of choke out the growth of the word in our lives. But this thorny soil that, that ultimately gets choked out, this is a spitting image of what we see in Mark 10, um, the rich young ruler. And we know this story well. He comes to Christ. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've done all these things. I'm, I'm a very good person. I, you know, I, I love the, the law. I want to follow you. So Jesus says this, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And the man goes away sorrowful. Why? Because he loves his possessions more than God. Right? The, the, the answer isn't, if you want to be a real Christian, you've got to be poor. Right? That's not the answer. The answer is, where is your treasure, friends? Right? Ultimately, the rich young ruler goes away sorrowful because his treasure is in this world. But when our treasure is Christ and he says, come, follow me, make me your treasure, then we have true faith. We have eternal treasure. We have eternal hope. Right? 
True faith endures even when the thorns and worries of this life grab at our hearts for attention, right? When there's those desires that threaten our relationship with God, right? When we feel prone to anxiety about tomorrow, right? Maybe our lack of contentment is just eating away at us. I I want to be content. I'm just not, right? I'm frustrated, right? When we're not financially comfortable, much like weeds where, you know, you pull one out and then you turn around, there's three more. What the heck, right? Um, There are times where thorns will happen, right? And these are the times when we need to draw on this deep-rooted, robust faith that we have in the gospel, right? We might even need to pray things like, like the father in Mark 9 who cries out to Jesus. He says, I believe, right? I believe you can heal my daughter. His, his daughter is, is afflicted by a demon. He says, please heal her. I, and Jesus says, do you believe? And, and the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Sometimes we need to pray these things, right? Sometimes we need to pray the words of Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Almost like David's looking in a mirror, like, why, why, are, you, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Right? Why are these earthly concerns, these thorns, these, these weeds so persistent? Right? Just want to get rid of them. And then he says to himself, to his soul, you know, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Right? So thorns have roots. They're just very shallow. Right? You know this well when you try to pull out a root and you're like, I got it. And then the roots are still there and it's going to come back in a couple of days. Right? Those thorns will fade. Right? So do we have a hope that, that lasts through the storm, through the trials of life? Right? Because then we're like the man described in Psalm 1, like a tree planted by streams of water right? with deep roots that yields its fruit in good season and its leaf does not wither. Right? Long, uh, not long after this parable, um, a number of Jesus' followers abandon him. Basically, they keep persisting. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. He's like, no. And so they, they go away. So Jesus looks to his disciples. I think this is hilarious, right? Because if you've grown up in the church and you remember like altar calls, like come to Jesus, you know, make a, make a decision right now. And I'm not saying that's awful, right? But Jesus does the opposite. He looks at his disciples who are much more committed to him. And he says, do you want to go away as well? Like, y'all want to leave? Now that the miracles are over, do you want to leave? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right, friends, that needs to be our response. Right? Where else can I turn? Who else can I go to? What other hope do I have? What other hope do I need? Right? If our hope is in Christ, it's eternal. Lastly, we come to the good soil. Verse 20, it says this, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Right? So at this point, I hope I've made this point clear. Right? This soil does not produce a hundredfold crops because they're like it's amazing soil, because it's fantastic, right? It's because of the seed, right? So we're not meant to look at this parable and say, okay, so would I say I'm a thirty-fold believer or a sixty-fold believer? Like, you know, take this quiz, find out, are you a thirty-fold believer? Oh man, like, you know, um, or maybe, you know, we think, okay, well, how do I get to 80? I don't think I could do a hundred. That's like super Christian, like Billy Graham status, right? Okay. How, how can I get there? Right. The point isn't to say I need to be better soil, right? The point is that the gospel is a supernatural seed that bears supernatural results in our lives. So friends, are you sowing the seed? Has it taken root in your life? Right. Just as Isaac 
gets this plentiful crop that multiplies a hundredfold, God intends to bless us through his word at work in our lives. Right? And if we're honest, as we've reflected on these, sol- as, as we reflected on these soils, um, you know, we've all been one of these you know, bad soils in our lives at some point. Right? Paul says in Romans 5.8 that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so while we were still hardened, hostile, thorny soil, Christ died for us. He loved us. He gave himself for us. Right? Paul goes on to say it this way in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, and he has made us both one and at peace, and broken down the, the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then he comes, he comes back in verse 17. He says, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Right? At, friends, at one point, we were all deaf and blind to the gospel. We all placed our hope and our faith in something other than Christ. Right? But through Christ, through the power of the gospel, we have an eternal hope that's not based on our merit. Are you a good Christian? Are you, are you good soil? Right? But in the power of God's word. So friends, are you trusting in Christ this morning? Is that where your faith is? Has the gospel taken root in your life? If you're here this morning, you'd say, no, that's not me. Friends, cry out to Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We're not meant to bear this burden by ourselves. Confess your need for him. Friends, place your faith in him. Are you here this morning? You say, yeah, I prayed a prayer years ago, but it didn't really mean anything. It's, it's sort of fizzled out. Did you subscribe to the Christian lifestyle? You know, but, but didn't really place your faith in Christ? Didn't really surrender your life to Christ? Friends, cry out to Jesus. And the final implication of this passage is that as believers, we must sow the word. Right? We must preach it again and again and again to those who are far off and those who are near, just as Christ has done for us when we were far off. Friends, we must develop a passion for the loss that overcomes our preference to be comfortable, right? That, become, that overcomes our preference to be liked, to, to avoid awkward situations, right? I'm an introvert. I understand, right? The last thing I want to do is talk to someone I don't know, right? Um, but we've got to take the gospel to every corner of the globe, not just once, not twice. Okay, yep, we checked the box. The seed has been sown as many times as it takes, right? If we don't sow the seed, then nothing grows, Here's what Paul says in Romans 10. This should be a familiar passage to us. He says this, if I can get there. He says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he goes on to quote Isaiah. He says, Lord, who has believed what, what, is, what has been heard from us? And ultimately, he concludes, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, through the seed of the gospel. So, friends, I'll close with another story. It's the parable of the sower who doesn't sow. All right. It's real short. I promise. He looks at the field. He looks at the seed in his hand. says, nope. He walks away. Nothing grows. 
the hard soil the hard soil stays hard, the thorny soil stays thorny, the rocky soil stays rocky. Nothing grows. Friends, if we don't spread the gospel, nothing grows. Ultimately, God God intends to fulfill his purposes through us. Right? So friends, if the gospel has taken root in your life, then are you sowing seed? Right? This pas- this passage is clear. Right? There are those who reject the gospel or the alternative, there are those who receive it and bear fruit. Verse 20 says this. It says there are those these are those who hear it and accept it and they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold. So there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. So friends, are we sowing the seed? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have given us such a good gift in the gospel. Thank you for seeing us in our sin, for loving us, for sending your son to live and die in our place so that we can be reconciled to you. So, Father, I ask that if anyone in this room doesn't know you, God, that you would soften their heart. God, would you, would you open their eyes to their desperate need for you? Give them ears to hear. Give them a thirst for you. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you and, and trust and know that you alone can save. And Father, you've also given us a wonderful task in spreading the gospel. Friends, I, I pray that, uh, God, I pray that, that you would stir the hearts of friends here that, that are complacent, that you would unsettle our passivity. Um, God, we know your gospel is powerful because it has worked powerfully in us, so we thank you. God, would you remind us of your power despite our weakness. God, would you move us to compassion, to care for the lost. Help us to be a people who spreads your gospel to the ends of the earth, not in our own strength, because in our own strength we can do nothing. So, Father, would you help? Would you grant courage, conviction, and passion for the days ahead? And may we live for you and you alone. It's your name I pray. Amen.